0: Amen. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, turn them with me to Acts chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible, we have plenty here. So just slip up your hand uh, and we'll make sure that you get one. And we'll also have the word projected on the screen here Acts 16. And we're going to start at verse 6 and read on down through verse 15. Holy Spirit says, through Luke, and they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Choraz, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. And I pray that you would help us to understand your word. Lord, we recognize that without the help and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can't fully understand and know what you want to say to us. So God, I pray that, uh, that as you did with Lydia in this uh, chapter, that you would open our hearts so we would hear the word, that we would know it, understand it, love it, and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you,
1: Deemer. Well, we are back in the book of Acts today after taking a one-week pause last week to observe Orphan Sunday. And uh, we're going to pick it up right where we left off. Paul and Silas and his missionary team beginning a new missionary journey. And uh, I want to bring up a map. The the title of today's message is Open Doors and Open Hearts, as you can tell from what we've read. And we're going to talk about that this morning, but I want to recap for us a little bit. And I want to bring up this map for you so you can kind of get an idea of where Paul and his team are. It's important to understand where they're at as we look at what happens in today's passages you may recall that they had um, had left out from Antioch right here from Antioch in um, Syria now they had left out you remember the second missionary journey didn't get off to quite as good a start as the first missionary journey did in the sense that Paul after they had the successful first missionary journey they just had the council of Jerusalem where the church had decided that they were not going to force Gentile believers to be converted to Judaism, if you will. They were going to put no constraints on them in regards to salvation, and they confirmed that you're saved by faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone, by his grace alone. So after that wonderful uh, council and that confirming word from the Lord, Paul says, hey, let's go back, let's retrace our steps, and let's visit the churches that we had planted. Most of those churches are right here in this area here. And um, so they wanted to retrace their steps. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul had nothing of it. Because John Mark had abandoned them on the first missionary journey. He said, we're not taking that, dude. And meanwhile, Barnabas says, wait a second. I see a lot of great ministry potential in this guy. And the, the, the disagreement was such that they had to part ways. So there actually ended up being two missionary teams. Barnabas and John Mark headed down to Cyprus and... Paul, along with Silas, who had been one of the Jerusalem church's envoys to the church in Antioch to share the good news of what had happened at the, um, the, the Jerusalem council, Paul, along with Silas, headed out, tracing their steps backward from the direction they had come the first time. So they leave from Antioch right here, and you follow this line. They head more than likely to Tarsus, which was uh, Paul's hometown, and then begin to visit the churches that they had established in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. In Pisidia. Now in Lystra they pick up another team member if you remember. They pick up a guy by the name of Timothy. A young man who becomes Paul's spiritual son if you will. And uh, he becomes an important part of this missionary team. And that brings us to today's passage. So in today's passage we start off in verse 6. They are sitting right here trying to head out in this direction westward. And we read this in verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in this area right here. So you can see their line here. It kind of stops abruptly and starts going north. So they're forbidden. So the next logical move is to head north towards Bithynia. But then we read in verse 7, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they try to go up here into Bithynia, and, and the Spirit of Jesus does not allow them to go up there either. So passing Mysia, they went down to Troas. So then they continue, and they go on over to the city of Troas, which is right there. Today I want to talk about guidance. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I lost. I didn't really lose. Someone stole my GPS out of my car, and I haven't been the same since. Okay, I got, I had become so um, reliant on that little bitty device that now I don't have it. I'm getting lost I'm getting frustrated because at least, you know, if I'm out there and I need to find something quickly, I can punch that in. And now I don't have it and I'm having to go to Google Maps and print out directions. Can you believe that? For actually printing out directions or writing them out even worse or calling people and saying, how do I get to your house? And it's really, really been frustrating. I relied a lot on my GPS for guidance. So I want to talk a little bit today about guidance. How do we, how do we find guidance? guidance. How does God guide us? I want to talk to you this morning about trusting God. Trusting in the one who guides us, who by his own sovereign will opens doors and closes doors of ministry. It also opens and closes hearts to the gospel. So that's why today's message is entitled, Open Doors and Open Hearts. All throughout Acts, all throughout this book we've seen so far, Um, as God's people carry out the Acts 1-8 mandate, which was to take the gospel, take the gospel to Jerusalem, then Judea, and then outside of Judea, into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, as they carry out this mandate, we've seen all throughout this book of Acts an extraordinary combination, a combination of strategic planning on one hand, where God's people say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go this direction, I'm going to plan to do this. Strategic planning on one hand, And then, on the other hand, a sensitivity to God's sovereign guidance. I've mentioned these couple of passages um, at least twice, maybe more, as we've gone through the book of Acts because you see this tension all through the book of Acts. We've entitled it The Sovereignty of God in the Gospel in the book of Acts. That's the subtitle for our series, He Reigns, which is the series we're in as we go through the book of Acts And you see this tension between God's sovereignty over all the situations and everything that's going on and God's expectations for His people to go and to do and to act and to plan and to strategize. And so we see this tension. And I've mentioned these couple of verses from Proverbs 16. I call it the Proverbs 16 tension. That's what I call it. You can call it whatever you want to. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In other words, we are to work. We are to make plans. We are to strategize. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And then in verse 9 it says, The heart of a man plans his way. In other words, he's strategizing. He's acting. He's doing. But the Lord establishes his steps. And this is that tension, really a balance, a biblical balance that we seek to find in life. We work. We plan. We strategize. We go. We do. Yet... God rules and overrules our plans as he sees fit to conform us to his sovereign will. So we have to trust him. There's a lot, of, a lot of ideas out there today regarding how we sense God's will or hear God's voice. I want to say up front that some of what we've learned is not biblical at all. Some of what we've learned about hearing God's will is based more on superstition than it really is biblical guidance regarding hearing or following God's will. I want to do two things this morning. First, I want to make some general observations from this text about God's guidance. And then I want to go into a bit more detail about how we can expect God to guide us today. In this day and age, how do we expect God to lead us? How do we expect Him to guide us? So, I want to look at those two things. So, one thing we can see clearly here in the book of Acts, without question is that the Holy Spirit oversees the spread of the gospel and he guides his people, okay, to spread that gospel message. He guides his people to spread the gospel message. Actually, the Holy Spirit is the main actor in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's the main actor in Acts. He's the one doing all the work. It's at Pentecost, it was the coming of the Spirit that launched the gospel enterprise. Okay, he's the one who led Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's the one who gave Peter the dream on the uh, the roof to to go to Cornelius. He's the one who sent the missionaries out. Remember it said the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas out. The Spirit is the main actor here. And he's the main actor in this passage as well. In verse 6 it says they were forbidden by who? By the Holy Spirit. And in verse 7 it says, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go up into Bithynia. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, God's guidance. And the first thing I wanted to, to notice or to understand, and I guess my clicker's not working, guys, so y'all are gonna have to do it for me back there. Okay, so go ahead and bring up my next slide if you would. Alright. Sometimes God uses negative guidance. Sometimes God uses negative guidance or what we would call closed doors. Okay, that's just the fact. Have you ever experienced a closed door? It can be very frustrating when you experience a closed door. It happens. It happens a lot. God will shut down something we wanted to do, something we were planning on doing, something we, we thought was a great thing to do for him. And it probably was a great thing to do for him, but he, he cuts it off. He shuts it down. God does use negative guidance. Now, we're not given all the details in this passage this morning regarding how God uh, shut down this, um, this plan for, to go into Asia and then into Bithynia. Okay, we're, not, we're not giving all the details as to how he closed the doors. It could have been a vision. I doubt it because they mentioned the vision about the man from Macedonia. and It seems like he would have mentioned all the visions if he had gotten multiple visions. It could have been a prophetic word. Silas was a prophet, so was, was Paul for that matter. Um, maybe it was just circumstances. I mean, that's one of the ways God gives us negative guidance. He just doesn't work it out. <laughs> the details, things just didn't come together. It may have just been... Circumstances, we don't know. All we know is that God closed the door on their plan to take the gospel to these two areas. So, I've got a few thoughts. And if you look at your notes there, I know today it looks like your notes are very long, and, and they kind of are, but I'm going to go through it pretty fast. Don't freak out. I know after last week's message, you're all thinking, are we going to get out of here today before one? Yes, yes. I, I think we're going to be on time today. All right, number one, God does sometimes close the doors. Oh, Get, get rid of number two there. God does sometimes close the doors on good plans. Get rid of number two for me there, if you would. God does sometimes close the doors on good plans. They were prevented from what? Speaking the word is what the scripture says here. That's a good plan. I mean, they're going to share the gospel. It doesn't get much better than that. And God does shut down things that are good sometimes. Think about it. God prevented a missionary team, a successful missionary team, from preaching the gospel in these two areas that were surely filled with thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who needed to hear the gospel. And he shuts it down. God does sometimes close the door on good, godly plans. And nothing could be more godly than what Paul and his missionary team were trying to do here. Okay, we need not get frustrated when God shuts down our good intentions. Instead, we need to just keep on working. We need to just keep on working. We need need to keep doing. We need to keep acting, which brings me to number two. Okay? The fact that God does sometimes close the doors on good plans does not mean we remain static and do nothing. Paul and Silas, they got out a map. They probably planned and they prayed and they strategized and they went. They were active. They were not static. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later, but this is a key part in discerning God's will for our life. This is a key part in discerning God's guidance. And that is, we're going to be active, we're going to do, we're going to to be going. There's this common notion out there that you hear a lot of times, people say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord's guidance. There are times when God calls us to wait. Okay, I'm not saying we don't wait, but you don't wait just sit on your hands and wait. You wait and you do. You wait and you go. You wait and you act. And you let God open the doors here. It does, there's no indication here that, that Paul and Barnabas, I mean, Paul and Silas had, had, had found out about these closed doors in advance. Instead, it says that they went and they were blocked. They were active. They were doing. Paul and Silas would have never discovered the open door had they not first run in, I mean, the closed door, had they not first run smack dab into it. It was by their actions and by their planning and their strategy they discovered the closed doors and also were led to the open doors. Sometimes the only way to discover um, the doors that God has closed in our lives is to smack right into them with with all our force. I remember as a child there was a a hotel in Ecuador that had this um, big um, sliding door, this big glass sliding door and and, and Ecuador doesn't have all the regulations that you have to have here in the United States as far as marking things and for safety and stuff. And you couldn't, when that door was wiped down clean, you could not see it. And I remember the first time I ran into it. I remember go, I was going to go outside, and man, I hit that door, right, right. smack dab, my, my nose hit it. And I fell back down, and my face was hurting, but more than that, my ego was hurting. As everyone was just kind of laughing as I'm sitting there on my rear end on the floor, I smacked right into something I couldn't even see. But you know what? I learned that there was a closed door right there, but that didn't keep me from walking through doors for the rest of my life. I still walk through doors without any hesitation. And that's the way we should be. You know what? We don't know what doors God's going to close or open. And we walk, and sometimes, ow. And it doesn't feel good. And sometimes it hurts our ego more than anything because we had a plan. God, I, I had planned this thing out, and what are you doing to me? And that's okay. He closes doors, but we keep on walking. We keep on doing. We keep on living for him however we can. But that brings me to point three. And that is this. The fact that God does sometimes close the doors on good plans also means we need to write all our plans down in pencil. What do I mean by that? I mean that you've got to be willing to change. You've got to be willing to have your plans interrupted. When someone comes up to me, most of the time, because... I, I'm not one of the you guys out there that has the smartphones where everything is synced. And so I have no idea what's on my schedule in my computer. And so when someone says, hey, you want to get together on whatever day, I'll say something. I'll say, yeah, I'll pencil that in, right? We, we we say that. It's a way of saying that, you know what, yeah, that sounds like a great plan, but if something else happens or if there's something else going on, I, I'm gonna have to change those plans. That's the way we should approach God. I think sometimes we write our plans down with Sharpie and get angry because God's not doing what we wanted to do. And that happens to us a lot. So there's three, four things that, that I'm going to tell us to be here. Four things I'm going to tell us to be in order for us to be people who write down our plans in pencil. First of all, we need to be flexible. We need to be flexible. Did you guys know that, you know, where, where, where was David Livingston, a famous missionary at? Who knows? See if any of the kids in here know, where where was David Livingston a missionary, Noah? In Africa. That's right. Everyone knows the story of David Livingston in Africa. But did you know that David Livingston originally wanted to go to China? That was where his heart was. He wanted to go to China. And God didn't open those doors, sent him to Africa. Let me give you another guy. Adoniram Judson was originally aiming to do most of his ministry in India. And he actually originally went to India. But God shut down doors and moved him to Burma. And there was a guy in India, a very famous missionary by the name of William Carey. But you know where William Carey originally wanted to go? He wanted to go to the South Seas. You see, God changes our plans. My parents were missionaries in Ecuador, but we originally wanted to go to Africa. Well, I didn't. I I was not part of the decision. My parents originally wanted to go to Africa. That was what they originally wanted. But God changed those plans and, and moved us to Ecuador instead. So be flexible. Also, be neutral. Be neutral. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is don't interpret all the circumstances and all the things that are going on in your life just according to what you want to see happen. We do that a lot. Matter of fact, just for the sake of illustration, and only for the sake of illustration, okay, I heard a politician this week talking about, he was being interviewed by uh, a news person, and this politician was being asked by the news person, how do you interpret... The fact that your political party lost so bad in the recent elections. And this politician said, well, you know what that means to me? It means that we just need to double our efforts. We need to communicate better and push even harder. And you could tell that the newscaster was a little bit amused by this. And he says, well, what would you be saying if you guys would have won the election by the same margins? He said, well, we'd be pushing forward. We'd be going forward with our plans. You see, for this politician, it didn't matter, (laughs) He was going to push forward with his plans regardless. It didn't matter at all. And that's the way we are a lot of times. We have a plan. We have an idea. And we interpret the circumstances, whether they're good or bad, as a confirmation of our ideas. But we need to be quiet and be neutral and let God lead us and not be so stuck on our plans that we don't see what he's trying to do. So be flexible. Be neutral. Also, be humble. Our plans, the reason they're written in ink so often is that we're prideful. We have an ego that we're worried about. We're worried about what people might think about us. Are they going to think I'm wishy-washy? I said I was going to do this, and then I changed my mind. Yeah, I really feel that as a pastor. I'll be honest with you. Because you know what? Sometimes God does change my mind, and he moves me from this direction to this direction. And you know what? Sometimes I have a hard time communicating that clearly. and, And you know what? I feel sometimes, oh, Everyone's just going to think I'm wishy-washy. That's okay. We need to move with whatever God tells us to do. Be humble. If we're not humble, it's pride and sin. James 4.13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and it vanishes. Instead... You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We boast when we make our plans just based upon what we think is right without submitting to God's will. This, James isn't saying that these men didn't go and do things, he's saying the problem is it's the way they went and did things. You still go, plan, strategize, go, go to the marketplace, sell these things, but do it with the spirit of if the Lord wills," so that when and if, I say not if, but when, he changes your plans, you're okay. And you're not committing sin by being so arrogantly and pridefully attached to your own plans. And finally, be patient. Be patient. Let's see if I can bring that map up again. Okay, look at our map here again. Where did, they, where did they last stop? They last had a ministry presence in Antioch of Pisidia. Now look where they next stop in a city. That is a long journey. It was 400 miles. 400 miles of closed doors. I get impatient when I have just a little bit of closed doors. They're walking for weeks, perhaps months. And God's not opening doors for 400 miles. Be patient. Be patient. So be flexible, be neutral, be humble, be patient. For the sake of the kids in here, I like to have illustrations that help you guys remember these type of things. And so this is one of my favorite. I've done this a lot of times when I was in children's ministry. But I've got a couple of, of cups here of, um, well, Liquid. And, you know, I think about this marble as like God's answer to our prayers or to a guidance for us. Sometimes, sometimes his answer is yes. I'm going to drop this in there. So here comes God's answer. Yes. And we get God's answer. Go. Go, do. And he blesses what we're going to do. Sometimes his answer is pretty quick. No. I mean, he shuts it down immediately. You know, and his answer comes and boom. No. Yes, no. And I think we're okay with that, aren't we? Okay, God, just tell me. You know, do you want me to do this or not? Great, all right, I won't or I will. It's, it's that waiting, it's that 400-mile trek of life that makes it hard. Because I think a lot of times this is what happens, okay? Here comes God's answer, and he says, wait. And it just slowly... Comes, that open or that closed door just slowly slowly comes it's going it's coming don't get impatient there it goes and then we know oh especially when we have a closed door after a long wait that's tough 400 miles god Couldn't you have told me this was going to be a dead end, like at mile two? That would have been really helpful. You see, we have a hard time being flexible, being neutral, being humble, and being patient. One more point here under this section. Number four, the fact that God does sometimes close the doors on good plans also means submitting to the fact that He has purposes that He may or may not, that we may or may not ever understand i think another one of the frustrating frustrating things about god's closed doors is we want to know why okay god i'm fine with the closed door but please explain yourself please explain why you've shut down this plan that i have and we have to be at peace with the fact that we may never know we may never know there are likely countless reasons in this passage here that God does not allow this team to head into Asia Minor or to head into Bithynia, but instead go to Troas. Let me give you at least a few that emerge from the text. There's, there's, there's hundreds of reasons probably that we'll never know. But let me give you a few that just emerge from the text. Okay? First of all, God had a new continent prepared to hear the gospel. You see, when they cross over the Aegean Sea from Troas over to Samothrace, that's crossing into the continent of Europe. What we have in this passage is the first landing of the gospel in Europe. a different type of D-Day. The gospel comes in. This is G-Day. The gospel comes in and lands in Europe for the first time. And we all know that from this point forward, Europe now becomes the centerpiece of gospel exploration and gospel expansion as Rome becomes a centerpiece of gospel expansion. And so that's at least one reason. Let me give you another reason. Look at the text closely. Look at the pronouns in the text. Did anybody notice this when we read it earlier, the shift in the pronouns? Okay, go to Acts 16. Let's just read through this. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, and standing there, was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, what does it say? We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why does Luke shift? from the third person to the first person, because he joins the team at this point. You see, another reason that God had them not go through Asia and not go through Bithynia is because he had another team member ready, waiting for them in Troas. Now this this seems a very logical team member, because we know already that, that Paul has some sort of ailments. We know from Scripture that he had a thorn in the flesh. He probably has some sort of eye ailments of some sort. And we also know that Timothy, who's on the team, according to uh, passages of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, he suffers from a, a bad stomach. And so who better to have on the team than Dr. Luke, a physician? So Dr. Luke joins the team now as they continue. Now, he'll only be with the team for a short period, and then he'll rejoin them later, and we'll look at that later. So that's at least another reason for this. You know, there's some of you here that are from uh, Woodland Creek. And it's no, it's, no, um, um, it's no secret to anybody that the merger with Woodland Creek didn't go quite as well as we had hoped. There were some closed doors there. It was a great plan. We had a good strategy, and boom, it didn't work out quite the way we wanted it to work out. But you know what? There are some things that came from that closed doors, lots of good things. I could make you a whole big old list, none of which tops the fact that Demer and Dana are with us as an elder here at this church. And, and so God brought another team member here, even through some difficult circumstances that included some closed doors. So there's at least two reasons. Let me give you one more. God had a woman whom he had prepared to hear the gospel, ready to hear the gospel. And her name was Lydia. So let's read on here in Acts chapter 16. Let's start in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Luke writes about Philippi with a lot of pride. More than likely, this was his hometown. He stays in Philippi after the team moves on. We'll talk more about the historical significance of this very important city uh, next week. Okay, continuing in the passage. We remained in the city some days, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there to be there was a place of prayer. So apparently there's no synagogue in the city of Philippi, which means there's not very many Jews in the city of Philippi. Matter of fact, it took 10, Jew, 10 Jewish men in order to organize a synagogue. So more than likely, there were not 10 Jewish men in the city. But when there wasn't a, a, a quorum to start a, a synagogue in a city, usually the people would worship out near a river. Usually it was God-fearers maybe some proselytes, probably not very many native Jews. So they supposed that there was a place of prayer. They go out there, and sure enough, there are some ladies praying out there. It says, And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Her, her name may literally be Lydia, but, but Lydia was also the region of, Uh, in which the city of Thyatira was located. Therefore, her name could be a nickname. It could be the Lady of Lydia. But regardless, God had prepared this woman. She was a seller of purple goods, which means she was probably a very wealthy person. And it says that she was, according to the Scripture here, a worshiper of God. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. She was a worshiper of God. God had already been working in Lydia's heart. Okay, we've seen already in the book of Acts, How God goes before and begins to work in people's heart. We saw it with the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. We saw it with Cornelius, how God was already working in their heart. So she's ripe for the gospel message. And who is it that opened her heart? It wasn't Paul and his persuasive speech. It was God and God alone. We don't have to re-preach it. Okay, we've seen this all throughout the book of Acts. We don't have to re-preach Acts 13, 48 which says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, once again, Luke is drawing our attention to the fact that God is sovereign in the work of salvation. God is the one who opens Lydia's heart. God is the one who makes salvation possible. This is the fleshing out of Jesus' words in John 6, 44, when Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? What? Said this verse a hundred times in this church, unless the Father draws him. This is the sovereignty of God in salvation. We see it all throughout the scriptures. We especially see it in the book of Acts. God opens hearts. God had sent them to Troas and then to Philippi because he had a heart ready and primed to go that he'd been working on. A woman, a Gentile woman at that. The Macedonian man in the vision turned out to be a woman. Okay, the Macedonian man calling Paul over turned out to be a woman named Lydia. She believed and was baptized, according to verse 15. It says that, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. God not only had a wealthy Gentile woman in mind, he had her whole household in mind. Perhaps Paul had in mind great numbers of churches, great numbers of people coming to the Lord in Asia and in Bithynia. But that's us. We focus on numbers, don't we? Oh, yeah. But God focuses on one person at a time. One heart at a time. He had had Lydia ready. He had Lydia ready. Now, it does beg the question, what about Bithynia? What about Asia? Doesn't God care about those people? Of course he does. Of course he does. God's plans can't be thwarted. The gospel will get there too. Matter of fact, we learn in Acts, we'll see how Paul gets the opportunity to plant churches in Asia. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you know that familiar passage, the seven letters to the seven churches? Do you know where those seven churches are located? In Asia. Those are the seven churches of Asia. So the gospel does penetrate Asia. Another another interesting thing here, uh, this woman, Lydia, She's living in and doing business in Philippi, but she's not from Philippi. Where does the Scripture say she's from? She's from Thyatira. You know where Thyatira is? It's in Asia. It's in Asia. So God God says, don't go to Asia, and then sends them to Macedonia and saves an Asian. When God wants an Asian to be saved, he doesn't have to send us to Asia, because he can do anything. He sends Paul and Barnabas into Europe. And saves an Asian. That's the way God does things sometimes. What about Bithynia? 1 Peter 1.1, in the, in, the, in the beginning, salutation to Peter's um, um, letter, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God is in charge of getting his message to his elect in all corners of the earth We simply walk through the open doors and try to keep from crashing through, through the closed ones. You know that same hotel? The next year we were there, a little girl hit that same window. She hit it with a whole lot more force than I hit it with and actually broke through the window. And glass rained down on her and cut her up. She ended up being okay and the hotel ended up after that replacing that door. But I thought about, if we want to, force our plan and our will on God, you go for it and you see what pain you're going to go through. Because ultimately God's purposes will prevail, not necessarily ours. So sometimes God uses negative guidance. Sometimes God uses positive guidance. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that he had called us to preach the gospel to them. In this case, it seems pretty obvious. God sent a vision. But, but when it says they concluded, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, that word concluding, it actually means they spent time pondering it. I mean, I would think if I saw a vision, I'd be like, okay, yeah, go. But these guys had to think about it. So they had to pay attention. They had to seek God. You know what? The Bible says you can get visions that aren't from God. And so they had to ponder it. They had to think about it. They had to seek God's guidance in God's will, before they walk through that open door. Now let me say this real quick. Opportunity does not automatically mean go. So open doors does not automatically mean go. And opposition does not automatically mean no. Opportunity doesn't automatically mean go. And opposition doesn't automatically mean no. I don't want you to think that from this passage. We must have spirit-led discernment and wisdom when we're trying to follow God's guidance. Let me give you two examples where where this is the case. 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, you'll recognize these cities. This is on a different journey. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. There was a door wide open. It doesn't automatically mean go. His spirit wasn't at rest. And Paul's spirit, Paul was a man who was connected to the Lord very well. And if his spirit wasn't at rest, it means the Holy Spirit wasn't at rest. And it wasn't for time for him to go through that open door. So he took leave of them. So we've got to have spirit-led discernment. Let me give you another one. Okay? And I'll just sum, I'm not even going to read the scripture on this. So you can go to Acts 21 if you want to. But you remember Paul? Paul is heading back to Jerusalem, and every city he stops in, they tell him, hey, you're going to be arrested. Prophets are telling him, you're going to be arrested in Jerusalem. You're going to be chained up. And they're saying, don't go. And everyone's trying to stop him from going. And and he gets to the last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. And a a prophet named Agabus actually uses an illustration. See, illustrations are biblical. He takes Paul's belt and wraps around his hands and says, the man who wears this belt is going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And they all say, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. And this is what Paul said to them, Why are you why what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. You see, sometimes we look at difficulty and we say, Oh, close door when God's saying, Persevere, keep going. Sometimes we look at impending pain that we know is going to come if we make this decision as, oh, no, we, we can't make this decision. He, God says, go. Go, regardless of the pain and the difficulty. So opportunity does not always mean go, and opposition does not automatically mean no. So how are we guided by the Lord? Okay, I know we're running late, but let me, let me just sum this up for us here. I'll, I'll move quickly through this last part of your notes here. How do we we discern God's guidance? Because there's a lot of popular phrases out there, right? Okay, I mean, I say them too. Put the fleece out, right? Like Gideon, put the fleece out. Find out if that's what God wants you to do. Hear a still small small voice. Um, Have peace in your heart. Maybe extra biblical prophecy is what you're seeking. Uh, Some sort of sign. I've heard people say, you know, hey, you know, if if it lands heads, I'm going. Tails, I'm not God's sovereign, right? He's controlling the coin, so... Is that the way we find God's guidance in our life? Let me give us a few points here, and then we'll conclude. Number one, God guides behind the scenes through everyday circumstances. God's sovereign will is at work. Proverbs 16, 9, God does guide the steps of man. God's sovereign will cannot be broken. God's moral will can be broken. Okay? Okay? God's moral will can be we break God's moral will all the time when we disobey what he's willed. I will for you not to commit adultery, and if you commit adultery, you have broken God's moral will. Yet God might use all the circumstances surrounding that sin to bring about a purpose, a plan that you never could have imagined. That's God's sovereign will. And God's sovereign will can't be broken. God's sovereign will cannot be thwarted. And so God's sovereign will is at work all the time behind the scenes, with or without our conscious cooperation. Nothing is too small. The Bible says he's numbered all the hairs on your head, that not a sparrow can fall to the ground without his allowing it to happen. So nothing's too small, okay? Nothing's too difficult, okay? The kids will learn later today that a half-dead man by the name of Abraham, okay, is being told he's going to have a child, He doesn't fully trust God in that, and they try to come up with his own plan, but God's plans can't be thwarted. You're going to have a child of promise, even though he's 100 years old. Nothing's too difficult for God. Nothing's too evil. Joseph's brothers, they plan evil against Joseph. They try to have him sold, and they do have him sold into slavery first. They want to kill him, then they sell him into slavery. Their plans, their purpose were evil to the core. But when they meet Joseph years later... Joseph says to them, what you meant for evil, God planned, God meant for good. So nothing's too evil for God to use either in his sovereign purposes. God is not responsible for the evil, but God can certainly use it. So number one, God guides behind the scenes through everyday circumstances. Number two, in many times and in many ways, God can speak to and guide his people. Okay? In many ways and in many times, God can speak to and guide his people. I want to emphasize the word can there. Where do I get this? Hebrews 1 1. Okay? Hebrews 1 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay? God spoke many times, many ways. Burning bushes, staffs that turn into snakes, on and off leprous hands. Okay, he guided the nation of Israel out by a pillar of fire, a cloud of smoke. Balaam had a donkey talk to him, for goodness sakes. God spoke to King Belshazzar by writing on a wall with his own hand. Okay, God spoke through dreams to Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke through visions, signs. God conveyed messages. Sometimes people would cast lots to find out what God's will was could go on and on and on many times and in many ways god spoke but here's where we need to make a crucial distinction to talk about how god can guide us or how he has guided people in the past does not necessarily tell us how he does guide us today or how he says he guides us today we cannot assume that god will guide us the same way How many of you guys are waiting for your dog to speak to you before you know what to do? We cannot assume that God's speaking to us the same way. My my bushes are dying, but they're not bursting into flames and voices coming out of them. Okay, we cannot expect God to speak those ways to us today. I think we need to clarify our question. The question isn't how can God speak and guide How has he told us that he will normally guide us today? Let's keep reading in Hebrews, and somehow we lost our program up there. But just keep, I'll I'll, I'll just keep talking, and you guys fill in the blanks as you see them. Let's keep reading in Hebrews, though. Let me me, me go back. Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, listen to this. But in these last days, that's our days, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the next point is simply this. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. I'm just putting scripture up there. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. God has uniquely revealed himself through the Son. The gospel is God's greatest revelation of himself. If we have seen and known Christ according to Jesus' own words, we have seen and known God. What else can he show us? He's given us himself through Jesus. So in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Verse 4, I mean, number 4. God primarily speaks to us today by his son through his spirit in the scriptures. The scriptures are, are God's word and it is the word of Christ the scriptures from beginning to end according to Jesus are about Jesus the bible is alive and active in the work to work in the hearts of his people according to hebrews 4:12 for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul spirit joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart how by the work of the spirit Through the Word, that's why Ephesians 6 calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with God's Word to speak to us today. God is actively speaking. You don't need a talking donkey, a burning bush, writing on the wall. God has spoken loud and clear right here. Loud and clear right here. This is how he speaks to us today. Primarily, apart from his spirit working through his word, let me just bring up this last point, apart from his spirit working through his word, God does not promise any other normative way of speaking to and guiding us. I'm not saying God can't. I'm saying that the way God tells us he'll speak to us today is through his spirit working through his word, which is the testimony of who? His son. He's spoken to us in these last days through the sun. Here it is. It's right here. God can do anything. So what does this mean? Let's get practical here and then we'll conclude. We're almost done. Let's get practical here. How about peace? Should we seek peace? That's the one. I'm waiting for God to give me a peace. I say it all the time because I do wait for God to give me a peace. But how does that peace come to you? Are you waiting for a feeling? Don't wait for a feeling. Because you know what? Sometimes God's peace passes all understanding. In other words, it's a peace that doesn't make sense to us. Our feelings make sense. Knowing you're going to be short money next month because you've decided by God's will to give some of it to missions, that anxiety makes sense in our mind. But God's peace that surpasses all understanding can help us do that and know he's going to provide. So, we do seek peace, but how do we find that peace? We find that peace by living a word-saturated life and a prayer-saturated life. If you tell me, oh, I just feel a good peace about it, I think my question is going to be to you, okay, tell me how God's been speaking to you through the word to give you that peace. So, don't just rely on subjective feelings. Same thing with a still, small voice. Does God speak? Yes. But don't look for some subjective voice in your head. I heard God say this. Great. What scripture backed that up? Because when God speaks to us, it comes out of this. I'm not saying you can't prompt our spirit to, to feel something and to feel like, hey, I need to go do this. That's fine. I may be stepping on some of your toes here because I think the way we normally operate is promptings of the Spirit. That's okay, so long as the promptings of your Spirit are coming out of your Spirit being united with Christ's Spirit in the Word and day-by-day devotions with Christ. If you're not day-by-day in the Word, don't trust the promptings of your Spirit. It'll lead you astray. The promptings of people's Spirit get them in a lot of trouble sometimes. The prompting of our Spirit can only be trusted if we are spending hours in this word. So how do we make decisions? Real quick. okay? We should be in the word daily. If you want to know God's guidance and you want to make decisions, Mark, if you're trying to figure out who you're going to marry, spend time in God's word. All right. Mark, single, if there's anyone here. No, nobody here today, Mark. Sorry. If you're trying to figure out if God's calling you to adopt, By all means, get on your knees and get in the Word. Don't just wait for some sort of feeling. Don't wait for that. So we should be in the Word daily, which means we should be living by the Spirit daily. Then God's guidance can be felt, and it should be felt. It's not some mystery, guys. It's not like God's will's out there, and I got, oh, how how do I grab God's will? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I gotta see God's will. Oh, I saw a rainbow today. What's God telling me through the rainbow? Shut up. Spend time in the word, and then you live it out. And then it happens. And sometimes there's not a wrong decision. God says this, God says that. I can do either one. Just go. You don't have to wait for some mystical sign from God. Which brings me to how we how this guidance can be felt and how it should. We should ask, first of all, is there a moral issue involved? If God is calling you for a career change, and you feel God's calling me to career change, and that career change is that you're going to become a hitman for the mob, that is a moral issue. Or let me make it more practical. If he's calling you because there's an opening in the front office, to just be a receptionist at an abortion clinic, that is not what God's calling you to. It's a moral issue. I don't know. Let me take that back. Maybe he is calling you there for a different reason. Not to support abortions, but to be a missionary. I don't know. That was just off the top of my head, so that's why I had to kind of retract on that one. Okay, is there a moral issue involved? Okay, so we should try to discern that first of all. We should try to discern, how are we going to know that? Right here. Okay, we should try to discern whether or not it's wise. Okay, sometimes there's no moral issue involved. It just, we just need spirit-led discernment. One of the most perplexing passages in all of Scripture is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. This is what it says Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. That's wisdom. Don't answer a fool. If someone gets in your argument, some fool's arguing with you, don't worry about that. Don't get pulled into that argument. Then verse 5 says Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Okay, God? Don't answer the fool or answer the fool. I've got a fool asking me questions, God. I need to know. Answer the fool or don't answer the fool. Discernment. Discernment. Are you going to be drugged into foolishness yourself? Don't do it. If you have an opportunity to pull this fool out of, his, out of his foolishness, then do it. Simple. Wisdom requires discernment. Spirit-led discernment. We should also seek wise, godly counsel. We should ask whether or not there's an opportunity to advance God's name. And we should act or not act. Just do it. Just like I said in James 4, they just, they went. As long as your heart's in the right place and you're saying, if the Lord wills, then just go. Do it. I kind of liken it to family dynamics. If my children are walking around the house and, okay, there's some things they need to ask for. Dad, can I, can I uh, go outside and play? in the street. No, you can't. Okay? But hopefully they have wisdom. They know not to do that. Or they may ask if they can do this or do that. That's, But sometimes there's no, it's just whatever they want to do. You know, Dad, can I play with my Matchbox cars? Or can I play with my Star Wars toys? You don't have to ask me that. Just pick. Go. There's no moral imperative here. Do whichever you want. But also... If we're using wisdom and if we're led by the Spirit, if my son's walking through the house and he sees something that needs to be done, he sees a glass of water that's gotten spilled over no one's noticed it, and he notices it, I expect him to go just pick it up. He doesn't have to go, hey, Dad, do you want me to pick this up? That's the way we are. There's all kinds of things going on in this world, ministry opportunities. And I think we walk around going, oh, Lord, do you want me to do this or do you want me to not? Oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? Give me a sign, Lord. And God's saying, just get busy. If you're in the Word and you're following me and my Spirit's leading you, get busy. Do the work. You don't have to wait for the burning bush. Go. Do. Work. Plan. Strategize. I believe one verse sums it all up. Romans 12.1, and we'll conclude with this verse. verse. Verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies." As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's your worship, friends. Give God everything. So so you're in his word, you're seeking him, you're a a living sacrifice. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen if you're in the word? And then it says this, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God is not some mystery. It's right here. Give yourself over to the Lord. Let Him renew your mind. Spit, let this just wash your mind every morning. And then you'll know. You'll know what God wants you to do. Sometimes it may be yes. Sometimes it may be no. Sometimes He may have you wait for 400 miles or more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to a close of the message this morning, I pray, Lord, as we take this time to sing a song to you and and to to respond with our prayer requests, with our offerings, um, Lord, that we would make this a genuine time of response. Lord, I believe with all my heart that a relationship with you is interactive. that It's two-way. We speak to you like we are now as we pray. We hear from you in your word. We respond to you when you've spoken to us through your word. God, this is is what the Christian walk is all about. It's not some mystery. So, God, I pray that you help us avoid the temptation to to think that we've got to have some hyper-spiritualized, mystical experience in order to to know your will. God, that's more from pagan religion than it is from Christianity. God, we know you can do anything. God, you can write on these walls behind us this morning if you want to. You can do whatever you want. God, instead of us focusing on what we want to see you do, spectacular, let us focus on what you say you do do every day, which is to speak to us through the word on a daily basis. So right now, as we come in prayers and in responses, Lord, hear our prayers, accept this offering of praise to you. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand, if you would, as Mark leads us in a closing song.
2: Firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellence. The other verses in this song are from the perspective of God speaking to us, just so we know what we're singing. Let's sing, Fear Not, I Am With Thee. Fear not, I am with Thee, oh be not dismayed. For I am Thy God, and I will still give Thee aid. I'll Trial when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt me, I only design Thy trust to consume I go to refine The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose I will not, I will not deserve to Should ever to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's soul, though all hell should ever to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. God, thank you that you don't forsake us you don't leave us alone to try to figure things out, Lord. Your will for us is not a mystery. Your will is right before us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you lead us, that you're faithful to do that. God, Help us to listen. We will do our best to listen and to act according to what
0: you say. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue in prayer over these shoeboxes that have been Graciously donated by so many of you. Father God, um, thank you for calling this church to partner again with Samaritan's Purse uh, in this shoebox Christmas outreach. Uh, Lord, thank you for the families uh, that have responded to your call to participate in this ministry. It may seem like a small thing to get a little box together and put a couple toys and a toothbrush or a couple little other items in there. It may seem like a small thing, Lord, but it's a big thing. Uh, right. There are children that lack so many of the things that we take for granted, including having something to open up for Christmas. And so, Father, I pray that as these shoeboxes get, get sent all over the world, uh, that you would use them to not only bring a little bit of joy to uh, the heart of a child, but also to reveal yourself to them, Lord, because there will also be gospel messages that are being sent with these shoeboxes, Lord. And we pray that many children would see you and know you and understand who you are and understand the gospel for the very, very first time, Lord. And um, we pray your blessings go with these boxes. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, we have a, a couple of new friends that are joining our church. I'm going to have Steve uh, introduce them to you. Right, I'm going to have
1: the McCreary's come on up here. They would. They've would. they been through our new member class and have uh, agreed to our covenant and are coming to join our church as covenant members, covenanting themselves with you guys and um, with the Lord uh, to be a part of this body. They've brought their very beautifully designed rocks. They, these, all these new members are putting all the old members to shame with their rocks, all right? This is a beautiful rock, and so um, Bobby and Kara, and let's see here, Hannah and Eden. All right, and so they're joining us today. So uh, let me just ask you, Bobby: Have you guys read, and do you agree to abide by the covenant of Harvest Community Baptist Church? We do. All right, then we welcome you as part of our community of faith. And I'm going to ask anybody who might feel led this morning to come and lay hands on the McCreary family as we join them to be as they join us to be a part of our family. And while we'll say. A, quick word of prayer over them, and that God will bless them as part of our church body. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the McCreary family, and I thank you, Lord, for their heart for you. Lord, in the short amount of time I've had to get to know them and to, to hear their heart for ministry and just their heart for you, God, it's so apparent that they love you very much, and that they want uh, you to be exalted, and they want your name to spread out amongst the nations. And so, God, I pray that you bless them and bless whatever ministry they're call- you're calling them to as part of our church, because you call all of us, all members, to be ministers. So, God, I pray that you would bless them, uh, bless the girls, Lord, as they uh, grow up in the faith, Lord, that you'd give Bobby and Kara the wisdom to be parents who guide them in the in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. and Lord, I pray also that as a church body, we'd come to supplement what they're doing to be here, to help them be the parents they're supposed to be. So God, we thank you. We pray, Lord, that your blessings upon the McCreary family. Pray for our church body, that we can be there and support them however we need to support them, through thick and through thin. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Bobby, you can add your rock to the pile there. And you guys are dismissed for Bible study. Rewind we will continue here.